Hello, fellow sleuths. I am Kathy. And I'm Michael. You are listening to A Southern Sleuth. fellow sleuths before we jump into the case i just want to apologize to y'all for being mia lately as far as new episodes we took an unexpected break and i want to explain a little when i decided that i wanted to do a podcast i went to michael with the idea to see what he thought and if he would help i told him i wanted to do a weekly podcast and he tried to warn me about the work involved and how it would take an emotional toll on us But I was not hearing any of that. I had an idea and I was committed. We did skip a week here and there, but we created 19 episodes in 23 weeks. Our last episode did not meet our standards. We were not happy with it and this feeling caused us to take a step back and look at how we wanted to move forward. I have decided that Michael is right, but don't tell him I said that. Going forward, we're going to strive for quality, not quantity. We will release an episode every other Thursday. We will not release an episode until we're satisfied with its quality and we will be listing our sources on our website or in the actual episode. Our little podcast has 8,500 listens. That isn't much compared to some of the big ones, but we are completely self-supported and so far I have put no money into marketing. In other words, y'all made that happen. You shared the episodes. You told people to listen. You joined the Facebook group and followed us on Instagram and Twitter. And as long as y'all are willing to listen, we are willing to keep making episodes. Thank you so much for your support. So let's get back at it. For this week's case, we're going back to the summer of 1976 to an August day in Arkansas when 29-year-old Linda Edwards was reported missing by her children's babysitter. Linda had dropped her two young children off on Saturday, telling the babysitter she was going to meet a man she had been seeing and the plan was for her to return for them the next day. When she didn't return, the babysitter, as well as Linda's roommate, were very concerned. They knew Linda was a tough cookie. After all, she was a deputy with the Garland County, Arkansas Sheriff's Department, but she didn't see much street action. She had worked as a radio operator with the department for about six months, and by all accounts, she liked her job and did it well. Linda's friends were particularly worried because Linda had been having some issues in her personal life, and they were afraid things had turned bad. When Linda did not report for work on Monday, a full-scale search was launched. Law enforcement was tasked with trying to locate one of their own. Pretty soon, they found Linda's locked car on Highway 290, a few miles from Hot Springs, Arkansas. The car was parked by the road as if it had been broken down, but had no operational issues. Law enforcement searched the surrounding areas near the car, but they turned up nothing further. 
Besides her car, there was no sign of Linda. The Arkansas State Police was called in to assist with the case, and within a week, the Arkansas National Guard was also called in to provide a helicopter and a pilot to search for the missing deputy. Despite all the resources put into looking for Linda, she could not be found. Now I want to give a little backstory on Linda Edwards. She was born Linda Okert. She had grown up in Hot Springs and attended public school there until her sophomore year of high school. At that time, she went to Michigan to live with her father and finished high school there. She graduated in 1966 and soon returned to Hot Springs. She married Raymond Edwards in 1968. They had three children but divorced in 1973. The oldest child was born with some developmental issues, and I believe he was placed into a facility, but I'm not certain about that. Linda was described as independent, friendly, and smart. She was making her way in a world as a single mom. It isn't easy to be a single parent now, and I can't even imagine what it was like then. Divorced women were probably still looked down on by some at that time, and I'm sure Linda had to be a little bit fearless to get through life and to work in the sheriff's department. When Linda went missing, of course her ex-husband was on the list of possible suspects. Investigators questioned him extensively, but he was eliminated as a suspect pretty early on in the investigation. The police urged people to call in any information they might have and to keep an eye out for Linda Edwards. About two weeks after Linda's disappearance, the police released some news that shocked many in the area. The missing mom was known to be four months pregnant at the time of her disappearance. She had confided this to her boss, Sheriff Barlow, and expressed concern over losing her job. He stated that he assured her she would be able to keep working for the department. The name of the father was not released, but investigators stated they knew his identity and he had been questioned. Of course, the rumor mill went crazy with speculation on who the father could be. Even though his identity was not released, several people knew who he was, and because people loved to talk, word got out. Even before social media, everyone knew everyone's business. The gossips were not disappointed when they found out his name. Linda had been having a relationship with a sergeant on the Hot Springs Police Department. His name was Thurman Abernathy, and he was married with three kids. Sergeant Abernathy had been with the Hot Springs Police Department nine years and had been promoted to lieutenant less than one week after Linda went missing. Due to their relationship, Thurman Abernathy was asked to take a polygraph just after Linda went missing. He refused. He could not be forced to because even as law enforcement, he is protected by the Constitution. He was questioned by an investigator with Garland County Sheriff's Office, but gave several conflicting statements. He admitted to meeting Linda that night, but said he only spent about 15 minutes in a parking lot with her. He said she never mentioned being pregnant, and he refused to give any specific details about their conversation. I don't know if he didn't remember or flat out refused to say. The other officer patrolling the area that evening stated that Sergeant Abernathy told him 
that he could handle the night shift alone and that he could go on home early. It's also worth noting that at the end of his shift, Sergeant Abernathy drove his police car to his home instead of heading back to the station as he normally would. When it was examined many days later, it seemed to have been thoroughly clean inside and out. With the permission of Linda's son, I want to read part of a letter that Linda wrote to her friend Kathy the month before she went missing. I think it lets everyone know in her own words what kind of situation she was in with Thurman. I'm going to read it typos and all. In the letter, Linda writes, Emotionally, I'm fine now, but for about a month there, I didn't think I'd make it. By the time Thurman came back to work from school, I was near frantic and expressed the same on the phone when I told him we had a problem. You guessed it, he walked in the door mad before he even knew for sure. Keep in mind, Kathy, this is all funny to me now and doesn't hurt a bit. Try to see the humor here because believe me, there's plenty of it. Don't let yourself feel bad or hurt for me because I'm on top of it now, okay? The minute he sat down, I jumped in his lap and tried to humor him. Of course, there was no way. I had run a million different things through my mind in the two weeks before trying to prepare myself for whatever his reaction would be. Guess I covered them all except for him walking through the door, already mad. Immediately, fear gripped me. Mind you, I still hadn't told him what the problem was, and I left his lap and informed him I was too scared to tell him. This made him even madder. I finally decided he'd kill me for sure if I didn't tell him, and the only defense I had was if when I told him, he'd go into shock. Yep, he did. He was really upset. He was against an abortion, against me giving the baby away, against me raising the baby alone. He couldn't stand the thought of him not raising his baby. That night wasn't too bad. I had realized before he'd be upset as I was fairly flexible. But a few nights later, we really had a bout. He threw his hand up. I really thought that night I'd had it. He swung me around the kitchen several times. Of course, I was strictly unreasonable with him that night, and he was furious with me. He finally decided he wanted me to get an abortion. This was the only way. I made an appointment, but when I, but when I did, then I got so mad at him, I don't think anything would have stopped me. I called him and told him I wanted to see him. He refused. I told him if he was too afraid to come to me at my house, I was not afraid to come up there to the station. Naturally, he came and was very sweet. Oh, it went like uh, went on like this for several weeks. He finally gave me an ultimatum. I didn't know what to do. I was afraid I'd lose my job, afraid for the trouble he'd go through, not to mention his family, if it got to the wrong person. I finally decided it was my feelings against a whole bunch of other people's feelings and decided I could handle my own feelings better than all the others could theirs. So I set a third appointment took off work, had the money, and Carol took me to Arkadelphia to have an abortion. I got to the door, and all of a sudden, nothing in this world mattered but how I felt and what I thought. I never even went inside. That was something I had never believed in. I felt like I was taking an innocent life, and come what may, I couldn't do it. I came back to Hot Springs, prepared to lose my job, friends, and even Thurman. 
but I was going to have my baby. I called him and knew he thought I'd went, as had told me he had checked on me every day at work to see if I was okay. So poor daddy had another shock. He was very mad, scared, and upset, and I knew the things he said came from these negative feelings, so I didn't even get upset. This was one week ago, and you wouldn't believe all the things I've gotten from God about Thurman and about me and about the two of us. I felt good mentally and know so much more about this man I love than I ever have. I know what I'm up against now. Fear, Kathy. He is so locked up into fear, it's unreal. Fear dominates his life. All these years, I've thought I was fighting him when all I've been fighting is his fears. Fears of losing material things, what Judy would do, losing his kids, his job, what people would think and say. Fear of leaving that comfortably whole, comfortably whole out of life over there and stepping out into life and living and experiencing, which involves pain, sometimes, which is another thing he's afraid of. Fear of loving, fear of because loving me would be so easy for him if he let himself. Fear of his baby touching his heart. Can you believe all these fears? And they're all very heavy for him. But I have enough love in my heart. And now that I understand why he does and says some of the things he does and says, I won't take them personal and it doesn't hurt me anymore. With God's help, I'll stay on top of his fears and maybe even someday my love will free him. Like the song says, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. So much good has already come to me from this baby. I no longer fear Thurman. I say what I feel to him and he says what he feels to me. We have expressed our feelings to each other like this never before. I don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. More than ever, I myself have lost a lot of fear. I trust more. I understand more. If the baby's a girl, I'm going to name her Capri Laura. Capri, the first five letters of Capricorn, Laura, Thurman's middle name is Lawrence. Haven't gotten a boy's name yet. I think she's a girl anyway. Her words are so haunting now that we know what fate she would meet just weeks after writing this. The sheriff's office felt the Hot Springs PD was hindering their investigation with different stalling tactics. It seemed they were protecting their own. The investigation stalled with law enforcement saying there just wasn't evidence that a crime had been committed. Linda's family believed otherwise and what hunters found on February 15th 1977 proved the family right. Skeletal remains were located on Jack Mountain about eight miles from where Linda's car was discovered. Police were called and the scattered remains were collected. Everyone was pretty sure whose remains they were due to the jewelry and clothing found nearby. Dental records made the positive ID. Linda Edwards was missing no more. The medical examiner determined the cause of death to be multiple blunt force trauma to the head. Linda had taken quite a beating and the family believed they knew who did it. They just had to let the investigators build the case. The family planned a memorial service and Linda and her baby were buried together. They finally knew where she was but they wanted to see the killer answer for her death. In mid-March, 
the county's prosecutor's office announced that they had a suspect. The name was not released and the suspect had not been arrested, but they assured the public that charges would soon be filed. The case was being handled by the Hot Springs County Prosecutor John Cole, and he seemed to be focused on justice for Linda. Many had hoped for swift justice, but then weeks turned into months, and rumors began to swirl that it was all going to just linger forever or be swept under the rug. Then, just after the hot southern summer began, news of an arrest hit the papers. Lieutenant Thurman Abernathy was arrested, charged with first-degree murder, and placed under a bond. The bond was set at $25,000, the minimum amount, and Abernathy was bailed out. He was suspended immediately from the police force. Three weeks went by, and John Cole decided to skip the municipal court hearing and the grand jury proceedings and file charges directly with the county circuit court. There wasn't a lot of physical evidence. This was before the days of DNA collections. Still missing was the murder weapon, her badge, her sheriff's ID, and her purse. But the prosecutor had the testimony of Linda's babysitter and other confidants, as well as witnesses that saw Linda and the policeman together on the night she went missing. Due to this new filing, Abernathy was recharged and rearrested. His bond was up to $50,000 this time. Abernathy made bail again. The trial was set for February 22, 1978, a little more than one year after Linda's remains were found. But the defense attorney, Jack Holt Jr., asked for and was granted a continuance due to him being scheduled to give oral arguments before the Supreme Court in a bigger case regarding Arkansas penitentiaries. After another continuance in March and other hearings pertaining to evidence, the trial was reset for August 15th with the Judge H.B. Means presiding. I want to give a little info on Judge Means. At the time of all this was going on, he was facing his own troubles. Several citizens had formed a group and petitioned to have Judge Means removed from office. There was a lot of controversial rulings and deals surrounding the judge. A special committee was formed to preside over the inquiry. And here's an interesting tidbit. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton was the Arkansas Attorney General at that time, and he was part of the designated legal staff for the committee. It was a four-month-long probe into the ethics of Judge Means. In the end, the committee determined he had committed gross indiscretions, but his actions did not warrant a removal from office. He was getting up in age, and they figured he would not seek re-election anyway, so they were just going to let him finish out his term and retire. Just a month later, the judge said he would have to stop hearing cases on the advice of his physician. And apparently, the doctor must have changed their mind, and the judge also, because Judge Means ended up being set as the presiding judge for Thurman Abernathy's trial. By request of the defense, there was a hearing set for August 9th to determine if certain testimony would be suppressed. Judge Means ruled all testimony from witnesses regarding conversations they had with Linda would be inadmissible. This ruling cut the legs off the prosecution's case, 
and Prosecutor Cole immediately filed an appeal to the Supreme Court. In March of 1979, the Supreme Court partially reversed the ruling. The babysitter's testimony that Linda was on the way to meet Abernathy would be admissible, but not her testimony and the testimony of others whom Linda confided in about her relationship with Abernathy, her unborn child's paternity, and his demand that she get an abortion. By this time, John Cole had been elected as a judge and a new prosecuting attorney, Dan Harmon, had taken over and his office had to take a step back and review all of their admissible evidence and decide if they wanted to proceed. They made the decision to turn it over to a grand jury to let them decide if there was enough evidence to warrant a trial. On June 5, 1979, the grand jury ruled there was not enough evidence to indict Thurman Abernathy for first-degree murder. Charges were dropped and he was a free man. Abernathy was reinstated as a lieutenant in July with the Hot Springs Police Department and given all back pay for the time he had been suspended. But a little karma got him when one day later he was cited for conduct unbecoming an officer for his relationship with Linda and was then demoted back to sergeant and moved from the narcotics division to records. Abernathy officially protested the demotion, but then he ended up resigning less than one month later. With no other recourse seemingly in sight, Linda's mother filed a civil suit against Abernathy, naming him as the cause of her daughter's death and seeking $200,000 in damages. I didn't find any details about the outcome of that, and I know the details of civil suits are often kept private. But even if she received the money, it isn't justice. She wanted justice, and her daughter deserved justice. She hoped that it would be delivered in time, and as it does, time passed and passed. In 2000, finally a ray of light. The Arkansas State Police decided to reopen the case. The hope was that advances in forensic science would lead to new evidence. And then there was silence. The children now grown knew that evidence could possibly be on the remains and sweater buried in their mother's grave, and in 2003, they began to petition to have her exhumed. They tried every avenue. They were given many excuses, and at the time of this recording, they are still trying to have their mother's remains exhumed and re-examined. But the family is not giving up. Linda's son, Toby, has an amazingly detailed website for his mother's case at lindaedwards.com. I'll put a link to it on our website, and I encourage everyone listening to visit it. You can find all of the source material for this podcast on his site. There is also a production company trying to put together a documentary about the case, and you can find their link on Toby's website. I hope that we will be doing an update soon to announce the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Linda Edwards' death. This family has waited a long time for justice. Thank y'all for listening. Please visit our website, asouthernsleuthpodcast.com, for links and pictures related to this case. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group and on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a good review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. 
We appreciate our listeners so very much, and we are overwhelmed by the support we have received. Thank you so much for listening and sharing, and hopefully it'll lead to closure of one of these cases soon. Thank you. A Southern Sleuth is a production of Cream Dream Studios. All episodes researched and written by me. All music written and performed by Michael. That's me.